So if I wanted to make you feel really, really uncomfortable today, which I don't, right? There is one question that I could ask that would stir something within you that would make you feel a little bit yucky because it would start to go back into your past and dig up some stuff that you don't want to dig up. And that question would be, who do you need to forgive? Who is it that you need perhaps to say sorry to? Or you would love that person to say sorry to you. And it's an uncomfortable question. Because so often, rather than walk into the mess of forgiveness, we do this thing where we just like to try and bury and we try and forget. But what I want to say today is that there is incredible power in forgiveness. And if we try to bury when we should be forgiving, we are missing out on so much life. I want to share with you a story that I know I've spoken of a lot. I'm sure you've read it and you've heard it for a long time. But I've never studied this story in the context of what it tells us about forgiveness. It's almost like this story is so good that like a beautiful diamond, we, we hold it up and we look at it from a different angle. And it shows us something so beautiful about this, this treasure that we are given called forgiveness that so often we want to bury. The story is found in Luke chapter 19. It's about a guy called Zacchaeus, and as soon as I mention his name, your story will, his story will come to your mind probably, right? Tax collector, bad guy, wants to see Jesus, can't, climbs a tree. Jesus says, come down, I'm coming to your house. They have dinner together, and he says, welcome to the family. It's one of the most profound stories in Scripture, but I put it to you today that as we hold this story up, and as we spin it around like a beautiful diamond, every facet of this story tells us and teaches us about the joy of forgiveness and why the worst thing that we can possibly do is to bury this gift of forgiveness. Luke chapter 19, if you want to read along in your Bible, that's great. If you want to pull it up on version, there's some notes and stuff there as well. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region and had become very, very rich. Jericho was one of the most beautiful places in the known and developed world at this time. Josephus said it is a divine region. The weather was probably there uh, just like it was here on Friday, right? Did you guys go outside on Friday? It was picture perfect. We went to the beach. I could have stayed there forever, and I normally hate the beach, but the weather was so nice. Jericho is this, this prosperous town. 
It's the middle of a trade route. So there is all kinds of, of money coming into this city, and they can use that money to make this city even more and more beautiful. But in the middle of this beautiful place, there is a man who by all accounts is living an incredibly ugly life. His name is Zacchaeus, and he is the tax collector. And he's hated, and he's hated, and he's hated. First reason that he is hated is because he is a Jew who is working for the Romans, who were occupying Jericho, who were taxing everything that moved in Jericho. Zacchaeus was taking money off his people to give to their enemy. He was committing, in their eyes, a treacherous treason as a traitor. He was betraying them. And whenever someone betrays us, we tend not to think too highly of them. Strike one against him. Strike two, not only was he working for the enemy... He was doing something that is universally hated even so today. He wasn't just charging taxes. He was charging above and beyond taxes. The Jews couldn't stand the Romans. But they had to pay some taxes. But Zacchaeus, he had license as the chief tax collector to make sure he got the, the minimum from Rome, but then he could put his own cut on top of that to whatever level he wanted. He was hated because of who he was. He was hated because of what he did. He was hated because of the Romans. Man, and the Jews hated the Romans. Some of their reasons were legitimate, some not so much. Has anybody seen The Life of Brian, that movie? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're in this upper room. They say, what are the Romans ever done for us? We hate the Romans. Well, they gave us a sewer system. All right, other than a sewer system, what have the Romans ever given for us? And it's like this 10-minute scene. But hatred isn't rational, is it? This guy, because was... Hated for who he was, for what he did, and for who he worked for. It was a triple strike against him. Universally, he was hated. Try to think of what the equivalent was today. I support two soccer teams. One is called Orlando City. Their rival is Tampa Bay, and you have to hate your rival, right? So hate Tampa Bay. My other team is called Ipswich Town in England. They have a rivalry called Norwich City. I hate Norwich City. They're really scummy. Guess what I found out this week? A new partnership has developed between Tampa Bay Rowdies and Norwich City, Right? That's the life that Zacchaeus is living, right? He wasn't just hated, 
He was doubly hated. And when you're doubly hated, then you can just like lean into all kinds of exponential hatred, right? But the first thing that his life and what is about to unfold teaches us is that forgiveness knows no limits. You can hate someone and hate someone and hate someone. Your rivals can team up with your rivals and create even more hatred, but even those people that you hate to the power of a thousand can still be forgiven. The the lyric we sang in that song, it said, the vilest offender, the very worst thing that you can think of, the very worst thing that is done to you can be forgiven. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon received. The first thing that Zacchaeus teaches us, and honestly, we don't want to hear it, is that anybody can be forgiven. Anybody, everybody can receive God's grace. Story continues. He hears that Jesus is coming to town. It says in verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Again, it makes sense in the context of the story that he was physically too short to see. But my guess is when he was walking through the crowds, he was probably trying to hide. He probably had this this inner turmoil going on. Part of it said, man, I'd, I'd like to see Jesus because I've heard about Jesus. But part of him thought, oh man, but I don't like these people. They're going to they're gonna mock me. They're going to get worse at me. They're going to they're gonna hate me even more if I go. So he's got this inner turmoil going on, but he realized he needed some help. So he decides, I'm going to settle it. And he says in verse 4, he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. If I'm despised by the people I'm having to live with, probably the last thing that I'm going to do, unless I'm really, really desperate, is to go climb a tree where everybody can see me. My temptation here would be to say, oh, well, I missed the opportunity. Let's get back to life and and making some more money. But he had this this courage of desperation that made him very vulnerable. Not just was he a target for everyone to look at, not just was he a target for everyone to look at and laugh at, but it's almost like he's inviting the wrath of the people saying, here I am. Somewhere he'd weighed this dynamic inside of him that said, is the wrath of the people worse than the goodness and glory of God? And he said, I'm going to take this bet and say that forgiveness is worth it. The second thing that Zacchaeus teaches us about forgiveness is that forgiveness always, always requires us to be vulnerable. Vulnerable. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why most of us would rather bury the need for forgiveness and pretend it's not there. Zacchaeus has been living too long burying things, pretending there's not a problem, and it had caught up with him. So he does the very opposite of burying it, and he climbs a tree and says, hey, here I am. There is nowhere else I can go, nowhere else I can turn. I am completely vulnerable before you. And that's a scary place to be. But if we want to receive forgiveness, if we want to give forgiveness, then we have to move into the vulnerability zone. We have to take that step backwards as it feels so that we can take several steps forward. You cannot be forgiven. You cannot receive forgiveness without being vulnerable. It just doesn't work like that. At some stage, you have to say, I was wrong. At some stage, you have to open up before those that have hurt you deeply so that you can receive their forgiveness. And it is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do. There is no more vulnerable place in Scripture than Zacchaeus at the top of this tree right now. He could have buried it, but he'd been doing that for too long. And that pain had caught up with him. And so he said, I've really got nothing to lose. And I'm going to make myself vulnerable. And does it hurt to be vulnerable? Does it expose me to be vulnerable? Does it put me in a precarious place to be vulnerable? Absolutely. But it's got to be better than the hell that he was living. Forgiveness knows no limits. Forgiveness requires vulnerability. It's interesting that God in his grace and his goodness doesn't leave us in our, very, in our vulnerability very long. You, you'll see in these, these uh, two words in this transitional stage, verse 5, when Jesus came up, he looked at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home, verse 6. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to stay vulnerable very long before we receive the forgiveness that, that we need. Zacchaeus climbed down and took Jesus to the house in great excitement. But the people were displeased. He's going to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. The response of the people teaches us a third thing about forgiveness. One that honestly we don't always understand and we don't always get. It's that the crowd here wasn't wrong. They're moaning and they're complaining. Why is Jesus doing that? Doesn't he know who they are? And we look at the end of the the. The story, and we say, oh man, those guys got it wrong. But the reality is, we perhaps spend more time in the crowd than we do up the trees, right? Because it feels like forgiveness is ridiculously unfair. I don't know about you, 
But when bad people get pardoned, I find it rather annoying. When people who have hurt me and done some evil and some wrong get off, it does not seem fair at all. I relate a lot to the prophet Jonah, right? God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. Tell them they're forgiven. You know the story of the whale. He goes to Nineveh. He says, he says you're forgiven. Then after that story, he goes and sits under a tree and pouts because he's really ticked off that those who deserved justice had been given a pardon Forgiveness seems unfair until we realize one thing, that we need forgiveness too. The only way to reconcile the injustice of forgiveness is to realize that we need it as well. If you don't need forgiveness then you will curse those who receive it. The only way to not complain about how unfair forgiveness is, is to realize that you need it. You know, we read the, the story, right, of Jesus leaving the 99 sheep to go save the one. And we think that is such a terrible business plan. That is poor stewardship, right? That he would leave 99 sheep to be vulnerable to go save just one. That math is all off. It makes no sense until we realize that we're the one. Forgiveness is ridiculously unfair unless we realize that we need forgiveness too. And we do. I think I shared uh, maybe last week about my involvement in the Better Man and uh, movement, the event that we've got coming up soon. And it's really interesting in planning these, these events as we're looking to put all these people in the UCF arena. Um, you know, it's kind of like God writes the script. And the script that God is writing this year is one of forgiveness. You know, I told you we have Mackenzie Milton coming right? Uh, the UCF quarterback who broke his leg. We found out that the guy who broke his leg playing for USF is also a believer and had been receiving hate mail from UCF fans. So we said, hey, would you like to come to our event too? And on the platform, we're going to have this little reconciliation between KZ and, and this guy Wilkins. Seems unfair somewhat, but it's what it is. Also, at, at the event, we got a guy coming called Anthony Thompson. Anthony Thompson is a pastor whose wife was in a Bible study at the church in North Carolina when a gunman came in and killed his wife in the whole Bible study group. And within two weeks... This man who had suffered so much loss in such an unfair way realized that he too needed forgiveness. And because he had received forgiveness from God, he went to forgive his wife's killer. It seems totally unfair until we realize that we need it. I was reading a book recently 
And it told me the story of a guy called Henry Gerkel. I think that's how you pronounce it. Because the question that, that people try and drop as a trump card when it comes to forgiveness is what about Hitler? Could Hitler be forgiven? And would it be fair if Hitler was forgiven? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that question, but this story came pretty close. This guy was a chaplain in the army in World War II from St. Louis. And he signed up as an army chaplain in his 50s because his two boys were fighting in the war and he wanted to do his part. The war ended. He was ready to come home. His boys were ready to come home. And they called him in and they said, hey, we got another assignment for you if you would like to take it. And he heard it and he thought about it. And he decided that he would. And for 18 months, he was stationed in Nuremberg as a chaplain to the 21 men who made up Hitler's inner circle. People who had the blood on their hands for millions and millions and millions of people. And he loved them. And he opened the scripture to them. And he cared for them. And 13 of those 21 people received forgiveness from God. He was fortunate enough to see some of the fruit of that forgiveness. In that horrible old jail there, before they went to the gallows, they knocked down a wall so that several of the men had to share together because they wanted to create a chapel that had a stone floor and a little cross in the middle. And there they gathered and they prayed and they repented. Thirteen of those guys on the way to the gallows, as the chaplain was standing there, said, hey, thank you so much. You've taught us about forgiveness. We'll see you on the other side. Does it seem fair? No, not at all. Until we realize that we cut so much sin in our own life and we need this radical forgiveness as well. Zacchaeus teaches us that forgiveness has no limits. It teaches us that we got to be vulnerable if we want to give and receive it. It talks about how forgiveness is ridiculously unfair. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord in his house, and probably the only people who'd ever been in his house before were the bad guys. I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. The fourth thing he's reminding us of is that forgiveness invites repentance. It invites restitution. It invites us to, to do something about it. I don't know how it works in your house, but sometimes with the kids, don't tell them they're outside. That's why I'm telling the story. You know, they'll do something wrong and they'll say sorry. They'll go back about their business again. And it's like, well, 
hang on a sec, you have to, you have to prove the sincerity of your apology by living differently next time. By living differently now. That's called repentance. It means to, to turn the other way. And Zacchaeus here repents. And I believe it's at this moment that, that, that he is saved. It's not like he says some, some little prayer. It's because of the exchange of forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness and repentance that brings salvation to, to his home. He says, I'm going to pay back four times as much. The law actually only required that he give back what he'd stolen and one-fifth. He wasn't following some law. He was giving generously out of a forgiven heart because repentance says, I want to do everything I can to make what I've done wrong right. If forgiveness doesn't have an action attached to it, we need to ask whether we've really genuinely, honestly transacted in this forgiveness relationship. Repentance means to turn around. If we say, I'm sorry, but we don't change our behavior, there is no sincerity in our apology, right? Some people say, well, you know, Zacchaeus was saved because of, because of what he did. Because he gave the stuff back, that's what saved him. No, 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 that was just an expression of a transformation that already happened in his heart, right? That's what repentance does. It doesn't follow the law, it, it follows love. It follows this, this desire to do things differently because you receive something so incredible. Zacchaeus teaches us that forgiveness has no limits. He teaches us that forgiveness requires vulnerability, that forgiveness is ridiculously unfair until we realize that we need it, that it invites repentance, and finally, most gloriously, that forgiveness gives us access to the family of God. There is no other way to get to know God except through the route of forgiveness. There is no way that the train that we get on goes to heaven unless we pass through the station of forgiveness. Hear what Jesus says, verse 9, salvation has come to your home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So Abraham was the father, right, of this family. All Jews are part of the family of Father Abraham. But the way that Zacchaeus had been acting has put him outside of the family. His deceit, his sin, his brokenness has caused him to step away from the family. And in this moment... Not because of what he gave, but because of the transformation in his heart. Jesus said, this man is back. 
He is a true son of Abraham. When he was cheating and swindling and manipulating, that behavior had made him a hypocrite. He wasn't who he said he was. He wasn't living by the family values. He'd broken the family code and it had put him outside of the family. But when Jesus saw the transaction in his heart, the interaction between forgiveness and repentance, he said, hey, you're back. You're a part of this family. Perhaps that's the most powerful lesson because that's exactly, exactly how it works for us. We were made and created by a father who loves us like crazy. He calls us his own. He says we're part of the family. He says, everything that I have is yours. And we turn our back and we mess up and we sin and we screw up and it separates us. And forgiveness says, come back. You could be part of the family again. Everything I have is yours. I don't understand why we spend so much time trying to bury the things that we've done wrong and create this life of hypocrisy and pretense that just gets smaller and smaller and smaller when the invitation from Jesus to us as it was to Zacchaeus is to understand, to embrace, and to receive forgiveness. It's when we receive forgiveness that we can truly start living that life that is abundant and that life that is eternal. I don't know where you are today, but I want you to hear this loud and clear. You have not messed up enough to separate you from God's love because his forgiveness has no limits. I want to say to some of you, don't be scared to be vulnerable with your sin. Don't be afraid to confess. Sure, it feels like a step backwards, but it's one that will propel you a hundred steps forward if you can do it. Some of you will be smarting because forgiveness is so dang unfair. No defense for that, it is. But I know that I need it. It's funny how when I need something, all the moral questions and hypotheticals, and they just kind of go out the window. Forgiveness invites repentance. 
And forgiveness brings you back to the family. Get down from your tree. I'm coming to your house. You're part of the family.